Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Phil Tiger. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Slacker Podcast with myself, Phil Taggart. Um, thank you for uh, joining us on this season. What season are we on now? Season five. We are we are an old podcast now. We're we're getting our pension we're getting on the bus we've done loads there must be 60 or 70 episodes of um podcasts with loads of different artists um for you to to enjoy wherever it is you get your podcast whether it's apple or spotify or deezer or castbox or google or wherever and i'm scrolling through them right now i mean there's episodes there that you mightn't have listened to from Matt Berninger from The National, Action Bronson, Kurt Vile, Daniel Avery, Jarvis Cocker, Jaden Smith, Bob Geldof, Sleaford Mods, KSI Phineas, Johnny Burrell, Phoebe Bridgers, Run the Jewels, James Vincent McMorrow, James Blunt, that was a fun one, um, Jimmy World LaRue, there's loads, there's loads, I mean, they're just, you can scroll as you're looking at this right now, um, And yeah, we're we're well and truly established as one of the the, the biggest um, and most important music podcasts, uh, interview wise, anyway, in the UK. Uh, the podcast is all about um, kind of like a, a almost like a chronological look at their career that um, fizzes off and goes in various different directions. Um, and this week is is no different. Um, before I get to to this week's podcast and and who is on it and who joins us, um, I want to talk about uh, my brand new show, which is on Spotify. It's called Chill the Beats, C H I L L D A B E A T S. It is all one word, and it is the chillest show on Spotify, which means it's the chillest show in all of audio land. Um, it's just me picking picking the best records and, and and playing them for you, releasing it every single Sunday. You can listen to it whenever you want. Um, a lot of people listen to it when they feel a little bit stressed, when they feel a little bit moody, when they need to take a, some time to themselves. Like as the weather is getting better, um, a lot of the people who who listen to the show are going out and going on long walks and going to the beach if they can um, to, to, to go and sort of just soak in the two or two and a half hours of um, music that I picked that's both new um, and old in places, some tracks you you'll haven't heard in ages and some tracks you'll have never heard before and it is just pure and utter unadulterated mellow sounds and you know the music's pretty good to boot so if you're listening to this you're a music fan if you're a music fan i think you'll like um the chill the beach show um you can also join the community we've got this community on discord if you're fresh to discord and you don't know what it is it is like a massive chat room um that has loads of different little bits that you can talk about we have the main chat we have the music chat we have the support club for people who need a little bit of um just support in their life um we have the sports we have all sorts of different fun bits and pieces um which i will link to below And you can join Chill the Beats on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash chill the beats. 
and it's updated much more regularly than the the slacker pa- uh, patreon if anybody wants to sort of move over from the slacker podcast patreon to the chill the beats one um i'm putting loads of bonus episodes up there um at the moment i've just started a new series called the masters and that is only for people who um subscribe uh to to the the patreon and um this week it is all about nina simone and i play music that influenced her coming up i play some of the deep tracks from her albums i play artists that have been indelibly influenced by her like britney howard play covers of her music from jeff buckley um, and we sort of wind in and around about an hour and a half um, through her uh, career. And it's one of the best things I've made. And it's only on Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash chill beats. Or you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast. It is completely and utterly um, up to you. I thank you very much for any support that you guys give. When you make independent content and you're not like um, assigned to like a, a massive corporation. Um you, you, you rely on it like you definitely do um our podcast guests this week is um a duo from uh worthing slash brighton um i was one of the first if not the first to play them on the radio back in like 2012 god i feel so i feel so old that will be 10 years oh my god don't have an esoteric crisis don't have an existential crisis on the microphone right now but um, I've known them since the very, very beginning. I tried to send them to my label. I'm a big, big fan of um, uh, of Mike and Ben from Royal Blood. They are our Slacker Podcast guests. You're going to really enjoy the demo that we have as well. And here it is, Slacker Podcast with Royal Blood in three, two, Guys, thank you for joining me on the the, the Slacker podcast. Um, like let's let's kick in like we normally do with a, a demo. This is a, a demo of um, um, I only lie. Um, timestamp is for me. Like when when was this from? It's all a bit of a blur to one of you. I'm pretty sure this was from when we went to a studio in well, just outside Bath, and it was the first time we had really got together and almost like retreated to go and write for the second record mm-hmm. um, and we just introduced ourselves to the idea of recording ourselves which was very fun um, we probably spent like too much time working out how to open a new track <laughs> <laughs> how to like get it to be on yeah uh, but it did um yeah, it was it was an important process for us because it was the first time we began thinking about, I guess, how we wanted our music to come across, and yeah, we got more into um, yeah the recording side of it as as, as well as the writing. So um, yeah, pretty sure this was in Bath. It was a pretty mental period of time as well. I remember Ben once we went out on a night out in Bath, and Ben actually ran home, and <laughs> in order to run from Bath City Centre to the studio, you basically have to go on a motorway. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was like six in the morning running down a motorway. You're, li- you're lucky you didn't get like picked up by the cops. Yeah, it's too <laughs> early for them or late. Perfect time for crime, if anyone's interested. I'm, I'm pretty sure that like um, Alan Partridge once walked down a motorway. Yeah. But- was was that the inspiration behind that? Basically, um, my phone ran a battery, ran out of battery, and I had to get home. I had to get back, and I that's that's the only way I knew. <laughs> well, listen, I'll, I'll I'll like let that image like conjure in people's heads as they they listen to this demo. Here it is, Royal Blood. I only lie.
that was a demo of Freud Blood. Um, I only lie on the Slack of podcast. Guys are joining me right now. Um, you say that this is like sort of like when you started recording yourselves like in 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 earnest before, but like I mean, what what state did you have demos and and things like that before the first record, or or did everything come sort of fully ready? We didn't demo anything on our first album. It was all, all every song was really born out of um, a rehearsal space. Um, I think yeah, demoing is a new thing for us on the second record, um, but one thing that became a theme as well is like multiple demos which can be a bad thing but for us at the time that was quite a good thing because we would every time we went back to demo we would kind of work on the song more and more and um although that's a demo of i only lie and i love you it's probably like one of five um and they kind of just progress because i think we were getting to the point where by the time we actually went into the studio to do it for real we wanted to know that we'd explored every avenue and we'd, mm. we'd kind of, yeah, I guess we knew how we wanted to do it, you know, so we could focus on the performance. Uh, like you can get really lost in like demo-itis, like uh, on, on, on stuff like that too. And, and really the only thing that massively changes in any of the artists that I've ever worked with on my label is it's the beat, Ben, isn't it? Like, I mean, like you're going, all right, this is a straight up rock track. Let's try it with a disco beat. Let's try it with a halftime. Let's try it with a... Like the demos, like uh, bit is really more to do with the drummer and the rhythm, really, isn't it? More than anything else. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a part of it. I think for us, the demoing thing is a becomes a puzzle piece, and it's sections that Mike and I write together, um, and it's wh- where they should go in the song and where they fit in with other things that we've written. Mm-hmm. So. The demoing thing is kind of seeing if this section should come after this section almost and if it even works together. You know, there's things that we, we've we gone in and just completely taken out of, of things because they're not needed. And, yeah, but there's definitely a, yeah, a feel element to it, of course. Is there is there like a because there's so many riffs in your in, in your tracks and it's so riff heavy well it had like you know has been for a long time like is there an element of going I've got a shit ton of riffs like I have a fucking library of them and I can just go and grab off the top shelf that one and let's see if it works with this one and just try and shit out like that totally yeah there's a kind of arsenal of them <laughs> and it's about finding a good enough home for them so there's riffs from the first album that I've still got in my back pocket which I know are great, but it's, I want them to be presented in the best example possible. Yeah. Like stuff, tunes from the new record, like a popular writing tactic of mine was like, I'll write 20 riffs all for the same song. Just like one after, as soon as I had one, I'd like get it down and then I'd move on and do another one. And I'd spend, and try and literally do that in like an hour and then like leave, come back, listen to them. And it's like gambling. The more you roll the dice, the more likely you are to win, you know, (laughs) there's no money involved. So I'd come back and be like, okay, most of them are shit, but that's fucking great. That's really cool. That's great. And then, yeah, you kind of collect these collect riffs that feel like, their friends and, and go and go in and out of each other very easily and then and then it becomes then we can kind of write the song a, a lot smoother you know because i think just having loads of riffs and hoping they go together is it's like trying to force puzzle pieces together you know it doesn't doesn't always work it sounds like tinder but for riffs you're just coming back and you're just like left 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 right right left <laughs> a swipe system into the studio who did um who are your sort of like drum heroes and riff heroes like i'll give you both an answer like like i mean who are the ones that you sort of look up to because like i know from speaking to like i i deal with young people quite a lot in 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 music and you know you would be theirs in in terms of like who their rock icons would be like who who would your drum icon be ben um an interesting question because i would probably say ringo (laughs) i think the way he plays drums and he comes up with hooks is is something that I've kind of latched onto. You know, he's not 
such a flamboyant drummer, but he, you know, if you listen to Come Together, you know, you know exactly what what that song is. Yeah. But I think like that mixed in like probably Dave Grohl and things that he did with Nirvana, like in Bloom and stuff like that was is such an iconic song to me. Um, so I'll go with probably Dave Grohl. Yeah, I, I see Ringo because Ringo has that style because he's a jazz drummer and he uses the toms as like melodious instruments more, more so than just something to make it sound heavy as fuck. Whereas like Dave Grohl kind of almost goes the other way where he uses toms to make it sound heavy as fuck. I mean, like yeah. my, my favorite drum record of all time is Songs for the Deaf. Um, I don't think there's yeah. a better album for, for drumming than that the whole way through. Absolutely. I think... For me, growing up, it was it was that it was Blood Sugar Sex Magic because it was just so it brought the the funk rock element to it. It was really groovy, and definitely um, Deloused in the Crematorium by the Mars Volta with John Theodore playing drums. That absolutely blew my mind when I heard that drumming on that. What about what about when it comes to to, to riffs for for you, Mike? Like a, a obviously like somebody who's a massive fan of yours you've presented them with awards they presented you with awards like it's hard to look around jimmy page like when it comes to riffs right but like who would your your hero be yes so so many and none of them are bass players they're all guitarists Mm. um i think tom morello is uh, definitely on the mantelpiece um for his simplicity and his ability to pick two, two or three notes and they become so powerful and iconic. Um, and I always enjoyed his philosophy on riff writing where he would write them on this beat up Spanish acoustic. And if they sounded big, on, if they sounded kind of heavy, whatever yeah. that means, on the acoustic, then they made it to the, the rig, you know, to the big ad guitar amps up. And I just like, I like, I like the idea of that riffs are heavy it's, it's the content of the riff. It's the composition of the riff that makes it heavy. It's not distortion or how many amps you have. Yeah. So I really believed in, in that. And I guess you can hear that on like Out of the Black and stuff where it's like so inspired by things like Balls on Parade, you know, it's like an octave. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny because like with, with Tom Morello, a lot of it's not to do with like, you know, your typical guitar patterns are these like pentatonics, like with the, which everybody sort of runs around the, the scale on. It's about like, like, it's, it's very hard for me as like a non sort of musician. I mean, I play, play a bit of bass, but I'm shy. Like, but um, uh, it's like the the really harder notes that are right beside each other. Like, you know, your master of puppets and your and your um, bomb track and uh, killing in the name off. That's what makes it heavy. It's the the fact that it's kind of a little bit not the note that you're expecting it to be. Yeah, there's always a little like head turner for sure. I think Jimmy Page is is the, probably the biggest influence on me. Again, it's so, the actual, obviously the solos are unbelievable and I could never play like that, but the riff writing and, and it's where they, where he kind of sits on the drums as well. He always, it's like, he's always on the other side. I don't know, I'm not very tech, like theory nerdy or anything like that. Yeah, no, like, I know what you mean. Like songs like Cashmere and stuff, he feels like he's chasing it. Yeah. and. Um, and yeah, again, like the biggest riffs are the simplest ones. Um, I'm trying to think who else really, um, even like the song, like, uh, black dog kind of reminds me of you guys a little bit, like, because it's a heavy riff, but the drum pattern is almost at, like, is at odds with it, but which makes it an incredible rock track. Do you know what I mean? Like when you... Uh-huh. You get Black Dog, people play it on the guitar and stuff. But if you set a drummer down to play it, they're like, shit, this is really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so chilled out. It's so like laid back, the drums on that. This is it's lazy, isn't it? He was lazy. Yeah, John Bonham. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what were like the sort of formative acts that you guys bonded over when you were kids? Like, because I mean, we're all roughly about the same age. And for me, it was like the Kerrang loop where you Kerrang would loop every two hours or three hours and you would know when Puddle of Mud was coming on. You would know when P.O.D. Alive was coming on. You would know when Papa Roach was coming on. You yeah. know, 
like you, you almost like a flip in time it because you just sat in front of it like drinking it in as a kid like what like did you have a similar experience or was it different i think we were both so just had such a like anything goes attitude to music when we were younger um so we kind of bonded over the ability to kind of be in a band and and, and have one song that sounds like a funk song and then another song that sounds like Coldplay and then another song that sounds like it's from at the drive-in <laughs> and I think we just we loved exploring all types of music in our when we were kind of 15 you know mm. but I think as we got older and it became really serious um, it was really the heavy the heaviness that all the heavy bands that, that kind of kept our interest like yeah songs for the deaf is just was such a staple record um for me because i didn't think i could be a singer of a rock band because i couldn't i was like oh, i can't scream and i don't have the like <laughs> you don't have the guttural i don't have the chris cornell thing mm. or the rasp yeah i was like oh, i can't it's in my head and then i when i heard queens of the stone age i was like oh i can maybe i can sing in the band because in a rock band because josh has a soft voice and it's hmm. gentle and i was like my my voice is quite feminine and and i love t-rex and things like that so um, yeah suddenly it was like hang on a minute so bands like songs for the deaf were like uh, queen of the stone age became really a center point and nirvana and we love the craziness about the driving and like the idea of in our early bands we would like sh love the idea that you show up and you're like the band that just fucking climbs on everything and wrecks everything. <laughs> yeah. That's it, was, it. it was very like performance led, I think. Um, I don't think we sat down and wrote a list of our influences. It was more that we loved being in front of people and like causing a bit of trouble. Well, like, uh, yeah. I, and, and you do like, uh, I've never seen a band that feeds off energy more. Like uh, uh, you, you love a drum, uh, uh, like, you know, a good big drum riser um, posture, Ben. Like, you know, it's almost like your yoga pose with your sticks, um, sort of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, being two people in the band, there's um, a lot a lot more I can do. And you know, being right at the front with Mike, where drummers are not meant to be, you know, already we're breaking the rules there, really. And so, you know, if you're if you're going to be at the front, you've got to got to go big. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's it. I mean, look at Slipknot. Like I, I, the first one of the first gigs I ever went to is Slipknot in Odyssey in Belfast, and I think I might have been fourteen and was dragged along with my friend because his mom wanted him to be there with somebody else. Like a fourteen-year-old me was a good chaperone for another fourteen-year-old. But I remember seeing Joey Jordanson's drum kit, like doing a like not a three sixty, but almost like a two seventy, and that being a yeah. ma massive like changing moment in my life. Going, holy shit people can actually do that. You can wear a mask, go to 70 in a drum kit and live a life as a millionaire. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
what can you remember the first time you ever actually played together like what was that moment like was it in a different band or like were you just jamming in a room how did that go yeah it was um in the band called flavor country that we were in when we were about 14 or 15 and um that's we a were... simpsons reference isn't it flavor country so yeah it is yeah yeah and uh we were a three-piece and ben was drumming in lots of different bands but he loved the band that i was in i was playing guitar um, <laughs> and i kind of was like yeah i did backup vocals in guitar and ben was like a big fan of the band and just was basically on msn just like i reckon i reckon i've got some like great parts for these songs like basically ben was like i could make this even better so i didn't i think i just turned up to band practice one day and was like ben's coming down they're like <laughs> me and they're like, what's he gonna do and i was like guitar and they were like uh okay and then as soon as he joined the band it all just made sense yeah it made, and it was great because it was ridiculous you know everyone everyone was on the wrong instrument and it was just very funny again that's kind of we would show up to places which we either like weren't invited to <laughs> Or I'd like lied tremendously about what it was we were offering. Yeah. You're like, we could sell 500 tickets. We're like really popular. We're like the big, big cheese down the cracker factory in Worthing. We played at Sixth Form College in Worthing once and we just threw a PA in the back and showed up and just played at lunchtime. Everyone was trying to have lunch. <laughs> we were jumping on tables. Ben actually jumped on a table and just kicked someone's lunch over. It was a one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> Can you remember that person's face when you did it? I, I remember standing on his crisp packet. <laughs> Kicked the fire exit door open as well. Yeah, I fell out of it. What's, what, what are your chops like as a guitar player then, Ben? Rhythmically was quite good. Um, I've got quite small stumpy hands, so um, a bit like Elton John. Um, I've always but said yeah but um yeah i i just really enjoyed it and i think at, at that age i had a lot of energy and, and and just loved writing music and and i'd been a drummer you know my whole life until that point where it was nice just to do something new does that give you a bigger um place in the in the writing of the music like like obviously being a drummer and being able to play guitar you understand it probably a lot better that way? Definitely. I think, yeah, I think I never really listen to just the drums. I'm listening to, yeah, the guitars. And I think that definitely helps with our writing and how we work together. Does it make it difficult for you pairing back a little bit on, on the new stuff? Because, like, you know, you're so used to, like, like, I don't know, just like being a big, massive rock drummer and, and almost play some of the stuff that you're doing now, you're playing more simplistic beats because it goes better with the with the new sound. Like, do, do you have to, like, obviously you haven't probably toured this yet, I'd imagine, unless you've been out in the UAE playing gigs on a rooftop somewhere. Um, but do you have to have a bit more discipline with the new stuff that you're doing? Yeah, it's not so much discipline. It's more, because this one's more groove-based, it's more um there's a lot more going on musically mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's not just mike riffing out um and me accompanying you know those kind of things it's it's more um listening to what's going on and giving those things space but also um i'm i'm doing a lot of those bits on the drums so when you hear troubles coming you know, all those string parts I'm playing on the drums. So it actually is a lot more complicated for me. Yeah. I saw I saw somebody reference Troubles Coming as, uh, what, what did it say? I think it was NME. Um, their Daft Punk take on rock music. <laughs> How did you feel about that? Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, I mean, there's not really much you can do or say about what people write about you. I'll take it all. Yeah, why not? Um, I like I didn't I didn't know that Royal Blood like, were obviously like I've been a been a uh, a fan of yours for a long like since day dot or since or what I thought day what dot was, um, 
And I remember having a conversation with one of you in the early days or somebody telling me going, he'd come back off a plane from Australia. He got picked up by his friend and then they started Royal Blood to take over the fucking world, man. I didn't know. I didn't know Royal Blood was a band in Australia beforehand and that there was somebody else in it. Yeah, I, I actually lived in Australia for about eight months. I was in Australia. I know. And I think Royal Blood's like my kind of bass sounds. The very like embryo of it was being in a three piece band. And anyone that's in a three piece knows that when the guitar solo comes, it usually sounds lame <laughs> yeah. because there's this huge gap. So I, that's when I began adding amps to my sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had an early band that kind of did that really. Um, so yeah, then bringing, bringing that sound and mixing it with Ben on the drums instead of these other guys that I were playing, I was playing with suddenly like, yeah, it's like, like, it was like a third, a third sound was born out of the two of us playing together. But I didn't, I think being in Australia as well, it was, I was doing the kind of, I'm going to leave for a year and I didn't really know that many people. So it allowed me to go to, I used to play a lot of open mic nights because it was somewhere I could sing in front of people and build confidence. And in Australia, they fucking love an open mic night. Everyone's got a fucking cajon. And, uh, <laughs> he had a cajon. He had a cajon. <laughs> worst, um, worst instrument ever invented. And then, but we, um, yeah, I, I remember just playing a lot of open mic nights and it's, there's something like being in another country where no one knows who you are. You know, I felt like I could, essentially like cut some teeth and fuck up a bit and when i came home i was like i wasn't afraid about singing on stage anymore so it was it was a real like learning curve for me the way the story is is presented the narrative makes it sound like something like step brothers where you picked up from the airport and you kind of like have this like idea and you kind of turn to each other and you're like did we just become best friends yes the movie version of this would be so dramatic whereas the reality of it was like very nonchalant you know it was more like so i was thinking uh we should play the tangerine next week you up for it yeah cool <laughs> it was like, it was, <laughs> did you did you guys continue to do those open mic nights back here yeah that's the only way we could really get a gig it, how, does um, it, how does a royal blood open mic night work because it obviously blows my, I, I can't think of it i can't hear it I, I was I remember it was like desperately trying to get a gig. It was impossible. I t- I went I went to all the venues in Brighton. I was like, I've just come from Australia. I've got this great band. We're really good. And it was just like you've got to bring thirty friends, and if you don't, then you owe us money. And it was just ridiculous. It was like so difficult. So we were just like, fuck this. There's loads of open mic nights in Brighton. All we need to bring really is the drums and like a couple of amps, which some people do anyway. So we were just playing Brighton, and that's how we got in front of people and I think very quickly we got attention from record labels and managers and everyone was like stop <laughs> go and hide so- <laughs> yeah I remember like that, that, that all, all that shit really happened very fast um yeah for you guys but stop playing it over my nights yeah I mean, it's not like a sexy narrative isn't it like but I mean like how we discovered like how, how does that happen like, i remember a friend of mine sent me a link to come on over on soundcloud and it had so on sound- 100 plays maybe discovered on soundcloud we we recorded four or five songs and i think one of one of them was figure it out and we put that up and i remember like after a week i didn't look at how many plays it had i was like, i'm gonna wait a week and i went i was like because i was like this is the fucking best thing ever and yes. I was, so I was like, go and it was like, here we go. And it was like 204 or something. And I was like, <laughs> fuck. I think one of those might, might've been me because like, I remember, I, re- I remember being feeling really proud in years to come that I was like the first one to play Royal Blood in the radio, but I wasn't somebody in triple J had played at Royal Blood like way before. So I was like, fuck that. Um, so I just started a label at that time. And me and my friend Johnny were like, we're going to sign this band called Royal Blood. And we didn't even have a name for the label um, or anything. And I think Johnny may have reached out to you at the start of a week. And 
over the weekend that came, uh, you had just installed your management as wildlife management yeah. to obviously look after Arctic monkeys and, and many more. Um, and out of courtesy, a guy called Joe Etchells from from there had a meeting with us. <laughs> and, uh, and we were like, shit, we need to like look like we're professional. So we booked like a, a members club in, in Soho. Uh, and we took him there and he heard us out. I mean, he was like, God bless Joe, lovely man. Um, he was just letting us put our pitch in. And then at the end of it, he was like, so what's the label called? And I was like, we don't have a name yet. And <laughs> <laughs> just made one up on the spot. It's, it's been like, was there a look around the room? Yeah, Royal Blood Label. Okay. <laughs> But I, I, it was exciting. It was very, very exciting. And um, when your music um, started, like you know, when people started to hear it, because it it connected with people instantaneously. And as you know from being in in bands and groups and stuff beforehand, that doesn't happen. That that's lightning in a bottle, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, it was very, very quick, and I think we we're very looking back, like very grateful. We've found the right manager very quickly because suddenly our little hotmail account was blowing up and I didn't know how to respond to emails anymore and it was like (laughs) coming after our blood you know so um, once those open mic nights kind of ended it was a case of um, yeah like writing more songs Um, and to be honest with you I think we had five and we probably wrote six more and then we put that first album out it was like yeah <laughs> what sort of stuff were people promising you at that time because obviously there was like a big uh you know sort of scuffle in the music industry of like whoa who's this new rock band what were the what, what were the conversations that were happening with like labels and people of that elk and they were like we can make you the next fucking good charlotte or we can like we'll give you this faberge egg i think there was something more real about it because we weren't getting that and we were seeing very select people okay and it was the people we're meeting had a look in their eye like they had a winning lottery ticket and we could just smell it so i think something more assuring than someone being like i'm gonna make you famous it was almost like they had this like nervous energy of like them trying to impress us and we were like whoa these people are like fucking scared but i i think that's like that's basic basic like laws of attraction isn't it if you go out on a date with somebody right and you really 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 fancy them and you come in fucking shaking and sweaty and you're like trying to you know you've got you put on all of the cologne that you could yeah exactly you're never gonna get off of that person ever like for once we felt like the hot girl <laughs> We were we were really lucky, I think, to find to have our management, and we were also very lucky. Um, we got we got a publishing deal before anything, and the guy that um, the guy that signed us with that is is his name is Phil Christie, and he's now um, at, at Warner Records as the head there. And we've had people from the start, him and wildlife who have totally handled our situation really well for us and have guided us um in a in a really healthy path to where we are today and and like that that i think a lot of like musicians do listen to this and like it, it is like the golden ticket of getting your team right at the very beginning because it's fair like you, I'm sure you know, like you, you hang about with like lots of other bands and stuff, and you see, you see it all the time of people yeah. changing managers and PR and A and R and this, that, and the other. Having a lock team is so important. Yeah, I think only when I started talking to other bands, I realised that our situation is quite unique. Because mm. I meet other bands, and they're, they're like, "Oh, we don't even talk to our A and R guy." I was like, "Really?" It's <laughs> like, "The guy's an asshole." <laughs> it was that whole like us and them thing, and I'm like. I speak to like my and I go like every day. <laughs> like we have like s- such a good and close relationship. Yeah, you know? that's it, it, that's great. And he's like, you're like, I I I farted and cupped it into my hands. It sounds great. He's like, okay, we'll put it out. We'll put it out. <laughs> Let's do it. I, 
it's not that so it's just, which is why i respect him you know because <laughs> the ability to have an honest opinion from someone who isn't in the band you know that's it like i mean sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees and you just need somebody to sort of like help you help you out on that that side of things um we made like, it easy for him huh? we did make it easy for him given how good we were you know and uh <laughs> and will continue to be but you know yeah, it, it's not polishing the turd, but, but it's just like putting a hat in it. <laughs> Ain't all this, it's finished. No. <laughs> just like wrapping the CD in vinyl covers, that's 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 all it goes to. Um, we are well, happy to have a, yeah, like a good relationship and, and creative freedom as well. I think from the outside, like people think when you get signed, you're sort of under this like controlled force mm-hmm. you know like, people ask us like so can you just like do what you want like do you get to do you get to say but people ask me like do you get to say like what goes on the album i'm like yes like <laughs> it's our band like so do you can you just put any song on can you just write what you want and i'm like oh my god it's like it's- but surely there has to be some sort of discussion in in there like I, like I'm, I'm sure that they're not like trying to pair you up with other famous um celebrities or models or influencers for for clout but like they're bound, they're bound to be a trade-off in there where they're like going this should be the single and you're like no i think this should be the single like it must be a give give and take game right of course there is but i guess what i'm getting at is there is we have complete creative freedom you know and like i mean having having that freedom like it's it's quite it's quite clear like that you, that you guys do because like anytime i've talked to you about music or interviews like over the over the years since like 2012 onwards you've got this like kind of dichotomy where it's like half really serious and then half an ultimate piss take mm. well they're, I, they're always one click away aren't they you know it's <laughs> you go you go so serious that it's it's suddenly ridiculous again what's what I what is what's the, between the two i think it's important. what's the most ridiculous thing that you've put in a song that even to this day you like maybe an Easter egg or something like that, and you just like you just can't believe that that's a part of your music. Oh, I know. In "I Only Lie When I Love You," Ben is slapping his forehead in the choruses. <laughs> and is is it audible? Not like oh yeah, it's well loud, and not just like hit it once and we'll like fly it around the track. It's like one take, a one take wonder. <laughs> Yeah, that I was. We were in the studio, and I was in the booth, and they could not see me. And I was doing these claps, like, and they were like, uh, you should, "If you," and I was like trying just different things, like this, and I was like, "No, no, no," and I just went like, uh, <laughs> and they were like, "They were like that one," yeah, and, I, like, and I was like, "Oh, and that one." <laughs> just following our ears, we were like. That's the best one. And then we looked in the booth and he's just hitting himself on the forehead. Definitely puts a whole new meaning to the word uh, slaphead. It really doesn't it. I mean, it could be worse. Like you could have to do it every single night of tour. The Pogues had somebody in their early iteration of the group um, that their only job was to play a beer tray on their head. Um, so, uh, like, so they would use the beer tray as, you know, as a percussive instrument and would sit four of the five tracks i think i'm not sure if it was spider murphy spider stacy oh fuck who knows um but uh he would play the tin missile on a couple of tracks and then smack a beer head a beer um (laughs) thing on his head the rest of the time imagine doing a like a a world tour with that being your only thing I know, but like, listen, um, there's there's so much that like we've we've got to talk about, and and one of the things that like I, when it comes to like your your bass sound, it's something that you've been asked a million billion 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 times, and uh, and I kind of want to come at it from a different angle. When you're in the studio and when you're when you're putting together that that bass sound, like how how technical is it and and like have you ever told anybody who it is apart from the sound engineer that you have it's um it's something that's just developed over time it started off as something incredibly simple that when i kind of when it when we came out and and 
like presented ourselves I remember people kind of scratching their heads over it and and having these very overcomplicated answers the first one was that people thought we were playing on track which was funny I was like brilliant <laughs> and then I realized that the, the joy in keeping things a secret you know it um it's more intriguing you know and then yeah it's just I get I think every guitarist or bass player as the albums progress the the setup becomes more complicated because if you add four new pedals or new sounds to your record after like three or four albums suddenly that's just accumulating and accumulating um so now it's like a very technical setup um it's funny like i know people say like with a plethora of pedals he's able to get the sound and it's like you should look at how many pedals everyone else has i don't i don't have that many pedals um if you look at like at, if you look at acdc setup it's fucking insane it's all marshals but they're like hand selected they have voltage they change the voltage on them so they match it's like it, it can go crazy so in considering on our third album and we can sell out a venue or two. It's pretty, it's still pretty humble. It can, it can go a lot darker. And you haven't like thought about like going full Nico McBrain from Iron Maiden and having the toms that you can 360 around the whole way. Wait. Yeah, you just wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a matter of time. Um, well, I've just got a new drum kit and it's, it's set up in the studio right now. And all I can say is that I'm having a lot of fun on those toms. How many have you got? Uh, Sam, at the moment, I have five. Was it Chad Smith that broke the record for playing the most amount of drums? Was it? Can you tell me that? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, I mean, it could have been. I wouldn't have guessed it would be Chad. I reckon it would have been someone way more geeky. Thomas Lang. So, like, how did it feel with the US taken to you so early? Um, it was... It didn't feel like that, to be honest with you, because I think in context of how fast things were for us here, I remember we opened up for the Arctic Monkeys and it was, like, like huge, and then our first show in the US was, like, three people there. And our dressing room was, like, just the corner of the room remember there was a used condom in the in the, in the corner just some empty yeah. beer and a burnt out Chris. and there was actually a leak in the roof and it was raining so trenchly that there, it was just a fucking waterfall so it didn't feel like we had like jumped straight into bed with america at all we we definitely were like back to the beginning but once once we kind of got on once we got on the Pixies tour, mm. that's when we kind of, yeah, we're playing in front of more people and we noticed that every night we'd win them over. We'd get every, everyone would put their bucket of fucking chicken down or whatever they were eating. Oh, there's people would just be sitting down just eating, watching us. It's, very <laughs> it's like the cinema. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And we'd always get them on their feet. And I noticed we were winning people over every single night. And then we were on the Foo Fighters tour and suddenly that went to like stadiums and it was this huge opportunity to, yeah, kind of win people over live, you know, which is hard to do because as a support band, especially for bands that big, you're kind of just in the way. You're just a bit of a nuisance. Yeah. And you're something to listen to while you go and get some beers and like get stocked up for the show you know your background music mm -hmm. so people over in those environments was i think we knew oh, hang on a minute this is translating even though we're unwanted strangers it but it was a case that like a lot of the people that you went and toured with ended up becoming quite friends of yours like uh, the arctic monkeys and queens of the stone age and dave Grohl. yeah i think i think there's such a small group of us that vibe off the same kind of 
energy of music you know so it's just the rock room is very small um and um i guess we were like an obvious choice for those bands to bring out on the road because particularly at that time like no one was really in a rock band like ours Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.